0: Talk with my hands, so how am I going to do that? Okay. <laughs> my husband tells me that if I tied my hands behind my back, I could not talk. Uh, but if there's, if you saw something that you want to ask a question about, try to remember it, and we'll try to answer your questions later. Uh, but it is a pleasure to be here with you tonight. I'm blessed. Uh, I hope you're blessed by what we share with you. Um, just, I, I kind of got baptized by fire the other night at the SBA. Uh, meeting, but this is my first real time talking to so many people. Uh, and you all are bigger than what I'm used to. Uh, so I'll try not to be nervous and try to um, be thorough and not run on. And <laughs> but there's so much to tell. Uh, so many people want to know, how did Jordan come to be? And uh, this started a long time ago. Uh, my family, uh, my dad, was his mother was a Hancock. And he had always talked to me about his Hancock family that uh, was around in the area, and several of them lived over in Marion. And some of you may know him, he has three cousins, uh, Rodman and Ray and David Hancock, who is now deceased. Uh, some of you know, may know Ray, he was the uh, president at John A. Logan, uh, I'm not sure what Rodman does. Uh, David was a minister here in the area for many years, uh, May know him, and Scott, who is the missionary in Jordan, Jordan, uh, is David's son. So my great grandfather and their grandfather, Scott's grandfather, were brothers. And i heard my dad tell this many times before, and you know, I don't, I didn't know any of these people, never met them, um, so it wasn't familiar to me. Well, uh, two years ago, I took a group of GA girls uh, to Springfield to GA Day. And lo and behold, Scott and Valerie were the missionaries, were the spotlight missionaries. And I was listening to them talk, and I'm thinking, I know this guy. I've heard my dad talk about him. And so after he got done talking, I went up, introduced myself, and we just hit it off. And um, he was just, oh, my long-lost cousin. You know, (laughs) we're just uh, kind of just taken with the whole situation. And Valerie was wonderful, and we just got to, you know, sharing about Jordan, and sharing about my life here, and my dad, and just kind of just got to know each other a little bit better. And then a few months later, I met Scott's mother at a mission celebration we were having at McKinley Church that the whole association had put together. So I was talking to her, and I was like, this is really neat. I've These people that I've never known before, I kind of get to know them. And then... The SBA, uh, I'm not for sure if it was Brother Randy, I think it was, called and asked if I would be on the missions and ministry committee for our association. And I said, yes. And wonderful committee, and we got directed to doing the Acts 1-8 mission, and each person was taking their part, and we needed somebody for international missions to kind of be the liaison person between churches. And I said, well, I'll do that. And never thinking, you know, that... Jordan would come into play, and Brother Randy and I got to talking, and he had been doing some emailing with Scott and Valerie, and they were very uh, interested in having a group come from our association. And so he was talking with me about us forming a partnership with our missionaries in Jordan, the people there. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And I've always felt a call to do missions, and I've always wanted to go overseas. I've done many things here in our state and locally, but I've always just felt like I wanted to go and do somewhere else just to see what it was like, how other people were living. And so the call then to go to Jordan came upon my heart, and things just kind of snowballed from there. And so we decided that we would do a mission trip this summer. And so we put out the word, And immediately, Mama T came on board, and we were pretty set in stone, the two of us, that we were going to go do this trip. Nobody else seemed to be coming along. So we went to the missions and ministry committee, and um, Nanette was very leery of two women going off to a foreign country without a male presence, and everybody else was kind of of that opinion. Um, I thought the two of us could handle it. (laughs) That's Okay. Um, So, that night, it was really, I told Mama T, you "You know, we're not going to be able to go. We don't have a male presence with us. And I got home from that meeting that night and had an email from Michael Rushing expressing interest in wanting to go. And, you know, just God working all along and him continuing to work. And what a blessing. And so, immediately fired him back an email and Shortly after that, we were meeting with him and his wife, all of our uh, spouses, and we just hit it all off really well and knew that it was meant to be. And so plans started rolling, and we finally got on the, the road, the air, whatever you want to say, to Jordan uh, on a it was Friday, wasn't it? A Friday, late Friday. And finally landed in Jordan at 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday the 24th. We were supposed to have been there uh, late Friday night, the 22nd, and had an orientation day on Saturday. And then start work at the school with the children on Sunday, because that's the start of their work week. Well, things were messed up with our air, with our flight, and so we didn't get in until then at... We stayed at Vicki Smith's home, who is one of their uh, team members, their mission team members. She's an interma- international mission, missionary. And uh, we stayed in her apartment, and we got there at 3.45, and got out of the truck, and immediately, as loud, and that scared me out of the receivers there, and I thought, what is that? And it was there Pre-dawn call to prayer, and which we heard about five, six times a day. Uh, we got there to that, and we left to that. When we were packing up to go home at about three forty-five in the morning to get to the airport, we left to that. And uh, but there was—I <laughs> don't know if you're going to tell that or not—but that's one of my favorite moments. I'll tell later. Uh, but anyways, we got there and. About 4 o'clock finally got in and got settled, and we had to be up and at them and be on the road by 7 to get to the school. And uh, it was over an hour's drive to the school that they make whenever they go there. And uh, we were to be with the children at 9 o'clock. And so we got to the school at about 8.30, uh, met the principal, several of the teachers. Uh, the principal is Um Amunder, which you'll hear us talk about her. Uh, in Jordan, when you have your first son, you take over their first, your son's name. Uh, you're no longer your own person. Father is Abu, whatever. My son's Brandon, so uh, Brian would be Abu Brandon, and I would be Om Brandon. So all of you firstborn sons, uh, your parents would have to take uh, take, take your name. So you'd be, they would be Om Joseph and Abu Joseph. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so interesting, so she, her, her son was Munder, and so she was on Munder, and wonderful, wonderful, very well-educated lady, um, just very on top of things, but uh, she was wonderful with us, and we went in there with the children uh, at 9 o'clock, we met with the older kids first, and did English, uh, the alphabet with them, did conversational phrases, uh, they were just in awe of everything that we did. Bringing out construction paper and markers, uh, they were just ecstatic with that. They don't get to do that. And we taught them uh, London Bridge that day, took them out for games, uh, did corner tag. Um, just They just loved everything because it's just uh, very, uh, comp- uh, I don't want to say, non-stimulated, but it's not surely as stimulated as what we are. Uh, They're very just laid back, and it's pretty straightforward, and so anything that we were doing with them, they were just in love with it. Um, But we had a good time that day. Um, We left and went for a home visit, which is what we did on the school days. We left and uh, would go to lunch in a home, and uh, very interesting to go into a home, uh, cushions all the way around the floor, around the room, Uh, we ate from the middle of the floor, Uh, ate with your hands, Uh, digging the rice and the chicken out and mixing it with the hummus and whatever else they had there, Uh, tearing off strips of bread and handing the bread to the next person. Uh, Something that I had a hard time getting used to was the very hot coffee that was served whenever you first went into a home. And at the school, there were just I think maybe two cups just yeah there was just one the first day and you wanted to be the first person to drink because after you drank it got passed to the next, the, next the, next the next person and the next person and the next person and no washing in between so uh just good luck i guess that's why they served it so hot to kill the germs i was but that was something that took a little getting used to um the people were wonderful we ate with the women uh michael went with scott And uh, they went to another home where they were eating with the men. Of course, there was a woman there to serve them. uh, But that's all she did. After she served, she would have gone off to another room. Uh, The women, though, stayed with us. They were very curious about us. We were very curious about them. Uh, A lot of questions uh, being asked. Uh, The second day, Oma Munter, she asked Valerie, she said, In in Arabic, she wanted to know why I had come. And so that was my first real opportunity to share with her that the calling that God had put on my heart and about Jesus. And uh, she seemed receptive and seemed like she understood that. But you have to understand, they believe in God, it's Allah. They believe in Jesus, but Jesus was just a prophet. And so to them, when you talk about that, it's... uh, it's not the same to them as it is to us. They don't know that he's our uh, risen savior and uh, that we have salvation and know that we're going to live eternally. They don't understand all of that. Um, so it is a, a different situation there. And that, is, that was really hard because I, I kind of always wished that God would have sent me somewhere where I could have really relayed the message about salvation Uh, But that didn't happen, and and I have really had to come to terms with that. A lady asked me yesterday, how was your trip? And I said, well, I said it's very eye-opening because I really never knew how uh, strong the Muslim faith faith was. Um, You know, we're strong in our faith, and I've had to think of it, well, this is just like a Muslim coming to my home and trying to convert me to Islam as whereas I'm trying to come into their home and convert them to Christianity, which we weren't. Um, Valerie, the Scotts wife, she um, just says they think that all Americans are Christians. And she says, so any time that we have mission teams over there, we just try to show them the good and the love. Um, Instead of coming right out and saying, you know, jesus christ is your savior and he will save you and you know you can have him in your heart and instead of doing all that she, she said there has been opportunities where they've done that but we just try to show them that we're good and that we're the way and that they see jesus through us and the good that we do um but our experience with the rest of the week with the children uh monday and tuesday they um uh, I do they just loved everything. We did uh, colors on the next day, and we did animals on the last day. Uh, if They loved Shrinky Dinks, uh They were just, I don't know if you know what Shrinky Dink is, but Shrinky Dink is a material that you can uh, color on with colored pencils, and then you bake it, and it shrinks down. And they were just in awe that these things that they had made came back the next day, and there they were, shrunk down, and made necklaces with them. And, uh Blowing bubbles, they don't hardly ever play with water. Water is, uh, what do I want to say? It's hard to come by there. Um, It's all bottled. You'll see it being sold on the roadside. Um, But just wonderful experience with the school children, wonderful experience in the homes. Uh, What you saw with the feet and the hands, we, uh, Om Munder, she is very artistic. We were in her home for lunch on the third day and she brought out a tube of henna and began doing Mama T's foot and then did my foot and then did Valerie and Vicki's hands. And uh, those girls that day, they were used to us by then. And there were four really wonderful teachers, uh, Elham, Aisha, I have to say their names because they're, they're in my heart, Amani and uh, Muna, and uh, they just... They let their hair down that day, <laughs> literally, took off the hijab, and uh, they all have TVs in their homes. Uh, it is all, uh, what I'm looking for, censored. All the TV shows are censored. Uh, you might not even see a kiss on TV over in Jordan. Um, the music, though, they had just uh, satellites and had music to channels on there, and so they turned on a music channel and began to dance, and (laughs) we should have had video of that, Mama T dancing, uh, not belly dancing or anything like that, but (laughs) almost, Uh, uh, but they just, we just had a really good time with them, and those girls, um, Women, we have it good (laughs) I will say I I don't know how your relationship is with your husband But with my husband I have it wonderful And uh, girls, you expect nothing Nothing uh, But just the very, very best From your future husbands Uh, These girls Most of the marriages are uh, Arranged And you would probably marry Your first cousin or someone very close in your family, and a lot of times you don't know that person. Uh, But these girls that we were with, uh, we talked to them about marriage one day and talked to them, you know, if they were looking forward to marriage, and all of them said that they were not ready to get married. Uh, They didn't want to marry somebody that was going to be arranged for them. Um, They wanted love. They wanted to know that somebody was going to love them and respect them um, and take care of them. Uh, women over there live in fear. They live in fear of divorce. They live in fear of their husband taking another wife. Uh, you can have up to four wives legally in Jordan, and uh, they they do live in fear of that. Um, so I, I just praise God that um, you know we're born in America. Uh, I, tell you a little bit about that in a minute, but um, just thank God for your situation, no matter what it is, uh, there's there's worse out there, um, and they would have loved to come home with us, <laughs> said something about coming back to America, and they would have loved to have uh, a passport and jump right on and come with us and be over here, our translator, Isa, he was wonderful, um, I we saw pictures of him, dark hair, and he's uh, an Arab uh, from Palestinian, okay, uh, lives in Karak, or was from Karak, and uh, he did a wonderful job, and also, too, they all want to come to America. He wants to come to America to study, and uh, Christian guy, uh, Scott and Valerie have found him to be the uh, person that they bring along with on uh, the different mission teams, and uh, I tell you about the, the marriage joke, Scott is, and you guys may have been praying for their family. They have two children, Nicholas and Victoria, and Victoria uh, is going to school at um, Union, the Union, and her serious boyfriend is Tim Donley, who was in Afghanistan and got injured and has lost both of his legs and a lot of the use of his right arm. And uh, so you may have been praying for him. there was emails uh, going around about him. and he's doing well. Uh, saw pictures of him. He has prosthetics now on both legs. but he is no longer as tall as Victoria. He's on his short prosthetics, and they're eventually going to work him up to where he was to about six foot, six1. Uh, but I guess you have to start baby steps. And Nicholas, their son, Uh, He just graduated from high school over there and he has come back to the States and is living in Marion with the grandmas. Uh, Scott's mother and Valerie's mother both live in Marion and he's staying with them and he's also going to Union. And Scott will be here in the States at the end of this month. He's going to stay with Nicholas for a month and get him adjusted to college and be with him at the beginning of his college days. Uh, Be in prayer for them uh, they are coming stateside in November and uh, will be here for their six month of stay, I believe it is. But when they leave uh, to go back, they are not going back to Amen. They have really nice home that they've been in there in Amen for 11 years. Their children have grown up there. Uh, but they are moving to Mufruk, which is the town that we went to to work with the Syrian refugees. And I told Valerie, I said, I fear for you being here. It's uh, very dirty, uh, very rough looking. I don't know, there just didn't seem to be a nice spot except for the church that we were in. And so be in prayer for them uh, as they come stateside and then also as they go back and are in Jordan. uh, They're in Muthra. long time ago, you kids have probably done this, complained about... Your lifestyle at home Oh I don't have this And oh I don't have that Do I have to eat this Um, And I did that when I was younger And my mother always said to me You need to be thankful That you're born in America And that you've got Christian parents And that you're being raised in church (laughs) And the other morning Whenever we got back um, That's just um, Our pastor That Sunday morning After we'd gotten back On Sunday night Went to church And Brother Ron He said Would you like to share anything And that's Really what comes to my mind is that to be thankful that you are born in America, most of you probably had Christian parents, and that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Uh, These people are lost. They're going to hell. Uh, My heart breaks for them. And what I was typing for the Celine Selections article, I have to remember that... I guess that's the two things that have really come out of this. Is I have to remember that God is bigger than any worries that we have. And when we think that he's not doing something, he is doing something. Because I came home and I really felt like, you know, did I really make an impact on somebody's life? Did I really uh, get them to thinking about Jesus Christ? And I don't know if I did or not. Um... And I kept to think, keep th- telling myself, you know, yes, you did. You planted a seed somewhere. Somebody got something from you. Somebody saw that uh, there was a difference in your life than in what they had. And we really tried. Well, it wasn't even trying. When we were in the school and in the homes, I felt like we had just such a good camaraderie between the males and the females. And Issa, uh, they're not used to You know, me walking by and, you know, popping Issa on the arm or Scott or, you know, doing bunny ears to Michael, that is just taboo to them. And um, I think maybe even just showing them that we had such a good relationship between us that that was even a witness and a testimony to them. Um, I'll just leave you with this. I think i told everything except for my funny uh, marriage joke. (laughs) But that's what I was going to tell you. I think it's okay. Uh, the other day, but uh, we were in the Dead Sea store after visiting, doing sightseeing. We've gone to the Dead Sea store, and like I told you a while ago, it's okay for you to marry your first cousin, okay? And it's more, it's okay to have more than one wife. And we were in the Dead Sea store, and the Arab men are very uh, clean and to American women, and so we were. In the store, and this man was just following me, and he was one of the workers. He was following me, and I don't think he was following because y'all thought he he thought I was going to steal something. But so Scott came up, and Scott and Valerie were wonderful about being there with us and being a presence. And Scott came up, and we were talking, and he started talking Arabic to the man, and all they hit it off and just started, you know, carrying on conversation. And and Valerie walks up, and and he says, "This this is my wife, Valerie." And then he points to me and he says, And this is my other wife, Melissa. <laughs> I said, I am not your wife. Right, no, I didn't even say I'm not. I said, I am your second cousin once removed. And the guy said, well, that's all right. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the wife, but uh, the second cousin. Uh, and Scott had that off. He is a card. I'm telling you, he's just, he's a, he's a mess. You guys would really like him. And, and just comical all the time. Uh, but it was a blessing, and I thank you. You helped us go uh, with monetarily, and I thank you for your prayers. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to the color of the party. <laughs> you guys know Mama T. I was going to leave you with one verse. This hit me this morning. Uh, one other thing. Uh, but this, and we, this comes from Romans. Uh, I don't know what you guys' Sunday school lesson was today, but ours was about Saul's conversion. And this hit me, too, because, you know, I was telling you, was like, how are these people going to get converted? How are they going to get converted to Christianity? And this Sunday school lesson came up about how Saul was this, this horrible person and was persecuting the, uh, the Christians. And, you know, God hit him with this blinding light and made him be blind for three days. And when he... Came out when Ananias came and spoke to him. He was this changed person and no longer wanted to do any of those things. And he wanted to be a Christian and knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And I thought, you know what? That's what it's going to be like. Something is going to hit that country, and they're going to know that God is the presence and Jesus is the one true Savior. And I just have to keep telling myself that. Uh, but in Romans eight twenty eight, it says, "And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose."
1: Well, Melissa, um, I'm going to start out with some of the most serious things that we saw in in Jordan. And uh, I want to start by saying that I feel very humble, And I feel humbled more than anything because of the cross. And I feel humbled for the support of this church and, I, and the church family. And I feel humbled by all the people that stopped me and took the time to say, we're praying for you and we're praying for your Jordan team. And I thank you for that, all of you. And uh, I'm also hum- humbled by the family of missionary families who sacrifice so much. We have no idea how much they sacrifice for the families and for themselves. And um, will you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and thank you for giving us a chance to go abroad and, and somehow be your light in this dark world with these people who don't know you like we do. And Lord, we just thank you for these people who came here tonight to hear this story. And I just ask, maybe one, one life will be changed after they hear this. In your precious name we pray, amen. So I'm not here to be political about the situation in Syria, but I can tell you that over 17,000 Syrians have been killed since the uprising of March 2011. This is called the Syrians to flee their country, going to Turkey, Lebanon, Iraq and Jordan. No one knows the exact amount that are in Jordan um, because some of them are scared to tell them that they're there. But estimates show that around 140,000 people have left Syria. Since Melissa and I left, 3,400 people have escaped to Jordan since we left two weeks ago. Um, Last week there was a little lull in the fighting, so they got a lot of people out, and um, when they're there, they say the Jordanian um, military welcomes them. Come on in. So that was good to know. <laughs> okay, so we landed <laughs> in a small Jordanian-Syrian border town called Mafraq. And Mafraq is a a town I think of about 50,000 people. What a difference from Amman, which is very modern with valet parking at McDonald's, to this dirty, really dirty town. Um, Most of the small villages you go into have something in the square like a tank, an airplane, some sort of military presence to show, you know, that it is there. Checkpoints with guards and machine guns, very, common to see that as well and um, as we landed we drove through and the church there it was I saw the steeple and and it was in Arabic I didn't know what it said on the church and there was a gate and people we were in this big white Toyota truck and big white trucks usually mean authority in that country so Scott told us We have authority with our white Toyota truck. (laughs) So as we drove in, people are looking, kind of pointing, gathering. I was more interested in this green, fruity, I don't know what it was this guy was selling. They're like, come on, Mama T, come to the church. So as we got in, we had to shut the gate. And I thought, what's going on? And people started gathering that quickly. And when the gate was open this much for somebody, there was a mother telling me in Arabic, I'm hungry. My kids are hungry. We need help. We need help. And fathers and men coming, begging for help for their families. Can you imagine? You guys, you know, employed, have a family. None of us are starving or living in a hut. And all of a sudden, like that, our life has changed. We have to move to another country. We don't know anybody. Or if we do, they do have a lot of relatives in Jordan. We have to give up everything we own and go stay with those people. It's not easy. And because of so many refugees there, there's no places to live. And the places that they get to live are pretty sad. So as we drove up and we went into the compound, they had a breakfast for us before we started our our mission trip into the city of Mathrak where the refugees are. And there's one person there. His name is Reverend Noor Sawai. And he's 48 years old. He's the pastor with a heart and hands and feet of Jesus. It was amazing. His phone never, never stopped ringing. He had to turn it off because so many people had gotten his number. and kept calling him story after story after story. People calling him for help. He said he contacted about 2,000 of the refugee people there, and he went to different families, and he had to pick just a few families that we could help, and he did. And that day, we broke up into two groups, and we saw 10 families. His church, I'm not sure how many people in the congregation. There are a few Christians there in that town. It's himself, his wife. He has two children, a son and a daughter, and they mission with him. They have an Egyptian girl living there she spent a couple months and decided to stay there and help him what a wonderful girl she is too, there was Mary in the picture, Mary is a faithful Christian lady from Jordan who does everything, she cooks she cleans and her son does too, kids younger than, he's probably what eight something spilled, he got the mop he cleans it up, nobody has to tell him to do anything These are just people who love Jesus and they're ready to help anyone they can. And there was um, Mia, and she's a Korean missionary, and there's over a thousand Korean missionaries there in Jordan. I guess it's a huge place for them to go now, and it's a huge thing for the Korean Christians to do. So there, there they were, Everybody overwhelmed with the needs. You saw the boxes stacked up. That's their clothes closet. We came in with new boxes and separated the clothes for them one day. And I saw all the Samaritan purse boxes. You know those boxes you do at Christmas? And you think, does anybody really get those? They get those. I saw it with my own eyes. So this Christmas, and I know you guys did some things. that Bible school for that, please do a Samaritan purse box. It just may go to Jordan too. So here we go. This was not easy. I'm going to tell you that we saw the ten families all desperate and all thankful and all open to the word of Jesus. So I'm going to tell you some of their stories. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Because if you cry, you can't tell the story. First family. Father. Mother. Mother. Four girls, two boys, ages two through 22. The 22-year-old girl was in the University of Damascus, and her family had to flee to Jordan, and she hasn't heard or seen from her fiancé since. They had a small area they lived in, a living room, then a curtain, which I think was the sleeping quarters, and then they took us back and showed us the kitchen which was um, used to be a house for chickens. They raised chickens in there, but someone took their chickens out so they could live there. Let me tell you the smell in that house. The mold was horrendous. Paint peeling from the wall, but Pastor Noor had given each one of these families a mat to cover the floor, but sometimes it's dirt. Sometimes it's just cement, but it's very hard. You've to a home that was bumpy, but a mat. And then, you notice the ladies that we visited have nice thick cushions that they sit on. But these were thin cushions, but when the family could sit in the living area and at night they laid them down so they could sleep. They gave them what they called a three-eye, and it's a camping stove, like a Coleman, and a tank of gas. And that's um, what we could give them at, at this time with the, with the things he has. Now he has an open, closed close closet, and, um, one night we also packed food boxes. And so we, we went there with food boxes and toys for the children and also Bibles if they needed it or wanted it. And, um, second family I saw was a man. Did you see the arm in the picture? What he had done, he was in the military, but he decided, um, they set up like a makeshift mass unit in the neighborhood so he was running illegal medical supplies to this MASH unit to help the neighbors. And one night, going to get the medical supplies, they missiled him. He had nothing left. He showed me the x-rays. Just a rod. There was skin, no muscle, nothing. I don't know how they did it, but they did it for him in Jordan. He had one rod. that was now coming out. The little finger, these fingers had no circulation. They were the size of sausages. They were cold. And this was infected. This man, I felt so sorry for him. He was a sheep herder in Syria. And he showed me his films of his herding sheep. He was so proud. It doesn't matter who you are in Jordan. Vote herder, sheep herder, camel herder. Everybody has a cell phone. That is amazing. But everybody has a cell phone. Here was this guy. He, that was, there was a picture with his wife. And Mary was with me, and she noticed that one of these pallets was in the kitchen, and she asked her, why, is it, why do you have this in the kitchen? And she told her that my husband is so nervous and so angry about what's happened to our family, he hits me, and he's really mean to me. it's the man's world there. As Melissa told us, you have no rights as a woman. No rights as a woman. She was beaten every night, so she decided just to sleep in the kitchen. And Pastor Newman was Heart. They were in their 40s and never had children. So the Muslim assistance wasn't so much because they didn't have children. They didn't really care about them. So that gave Pastor Noor the, the idea to tell them the story about Abraham and Sarah. He's such, he's such a gifted man that any situation, he came with a Bible story for those people. Something that we could share Third family, this was a widow with four boys, a small niece that was asleep next to her. It was so hot in there. Again, paint peeling, smelling like mold. Her husband had been killed one month ago. Her youngest boy, 12 years old, he looked so sad. He'd been born with a birthmark on half of his face. It was very dark brown. And I asked him if he'd come and sit with me, and I just loved on him and hugged him, and he let me do it, and that's kind of... Different for a 12-year-old boy, if you don't like that, but he let me do it, and he never smiled, but he just sat there, and she began to tell her story, and she would, none of these people, none of these refugee people broke down and cried and said, oh, poor pitiful me, my family, they never said anything, they said, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our heart, we're so thankful for what Christians are doing for us. Muslims, they want something in return. With Christians, you do it from your heart. We know that. We feel it. And this lady kept going on, and once again, cell phone going off, off, off. She came out with a stack of papers like this. Can you help this lady? Can you help this widow? Please help this widow. She had so many people. She herself, in such a situation, was trying to help. See, when I left that day, somebody gave me some money in my hand, and they said, Mama T, when you find a widow or an orphan, you give them that money. God is going to tell you who that person is going to be. Just give it to them, will you? And I knew right away when I met this lady, this is the lady I'm going to give the money to. Now, I can't tell the missionaries that we're giving them the money. That's not allowed. But anyway, as we left, I looked at her and I slipped her the money in her hand. And she began to cry. And I just said, don't cry. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves loves you. And I knew that this lady, this lady knew, she kept telling us how Jesus or the Christians had helped her. Now I'm going to go to a story. Four days later, I come after I'm home. I told Mickey, I'm going to go to work a little early and get on the computer. I wanted to look up what was going on in Mathra. And as I did, I typed in MathRack and who came up on the computer but this lady's picture. Now I'm telling you. If that's not a God thing. Because by this time, I don't know how to pray for these people. I don't know what else to do. I've never been in that situation. I don't know. Just pray maybe that they get to know Jesus. That would be the best thing, wouldn't it? But here's that lady's picture and her story. She had done an interview with the British Ladies Magazine on widow, refugee, Um, women in Jordan that came from Syria and there was her picture and God told me that right then and there. I gave it to the right lady and he told me to keep praying and I'm going to ask you to pray for them as well. Fourth family. Husband, wife, niece, grandmother, eight children. This, you saw the picture of all the kids giving us a peace sign. That was the family. And that beautiful little girl in the middle the father told me, She loves you. Take her with you, can you? And I said, Sir, I can't take just one. He said, Okay, take all of them. Can you imagine being a father and being that desperate, that desperate that you'd give your children to a stranger? We need to pray for this. His family, husband. He'd been shot in the head. He had both physical and mental issues. He had a wife, two boys, six girls, and the baby was four days old when he got shot. One of the girls had Down syndrome. Let me tell you his story. He was a soldier in the Army, and while doing uh, his Army jobs, he noticed there were many men in the military who were raping, hurting, and killing small children and women. And he kept watching this. And he couldn't take it anymore. So he said, he saw who did it. And he followed them home at night. And, or he followed them home. He knew where they lived. And then at night he would go and kill them. How do you pray for that man? How do you pray for someone so desperate? It did evil itself. But saw so much evil, too. I mean, it's it's a hard decision to make. And um, as he told his story, he told it to the guys. The guys translated it to me. But um, he was going to have to have another surgery. Part of the bullet was still in his brain. But he got caught one night and didn't make it home. And that's when they shot him. He did take a Bible. They had Bibles in Arabic. So he did take the Bible. So how do we pray for these people? I'm praying that they see and feel the love of Jesus through the Christians that are trying to reach these lost people. Every family had the mat, the cushions. Um, In the boxes, I believe you can help me here, there was rice, lentils, powdered milk, sugar, tea, some tuna, some canned lunch meat. And I think that's about it, would not it? Yeah, that was it. That was enough, uh, Scott told me, maybe one week. Depends how many kids they have. You know, First Timothy 5.3 tells us, Honor widows who have no other family members to care for them, and we should do that. Also, James 1.27, A religion that is pure and stainless according to God the Father is this, to take care of orphans and widows who are suffering and to keep oneself unstained by the world. I believe that. So, on a little bit happier note, I'm going to tell you very quickly about our trip to Sabah and the schools. The trip to Sabah was a very exciting drive every morning, with Melissa in the backseat, white knuckling it all the way. There's one rule in Jordan, and that is there's no rules with driving. Um, the missionary. I said, "Well, why don't they put lines on the road so people can stay in their lines?" She said, "Why should they? Nobody gets just to so they don't want to waste the time and money." So there was Melissa, <laughs> and the first day I must admit it was eye-opening. I must have applied the brakes for Vicky probably 50 times that day. She was a good driver, though. <laughs> the second day I let go of the hand grip at the top of the the. the car, and even took a nap on the way home. And on the third day, we were yelling, hey, ship And that's not a bad word. It just means, what's up, dudes? It means like when they wouldn't let us in, you know? So we were pretty cool by the third day. We got used to it. And we were so blessed to share the lunches with the three families and the ladies of the Bedouin tribe. And the Bedouin tribe that our missionaries are missioning to are called El Yasue. And guess what that means? Tribe of Jesus. That amazing tribe of Jesus. It was an interesting learning about their culture as well as their food and the women's tight, tight knitted tribe. She said this tribe came from Saudi Arabia and they were all just nomads. They were in the you saw those little stone houses. They still use those. They still they still live in them, and some nomads still. So use them. But these people had built their homes, and also almost every home had a tent outside. They still love to sleep outside. It's like it's in their blood. Even the wealthiest, most educated woman told me uh, the night before she had slept outside in her tent. She has this beautiful home, so that was amazing. Although many marriages are arranged usually to their first cousins, we ask the girls those questions. And I could see that these girls were coming a little apart from their families. They're open. They're ready to hear. They're, they they want to be educated. Although they dress like this, and some of them all you see are their eyes, underneath this are six-inch stiletto heels. Now I'm telling you, that's the truth. They walk in those rocks and desert in those six-inch stiletto Aletto Hill We were amazed. One day, the principal had cheetah. Cheetah scarf, cheetah. <laughs> we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> so they're coming. They're wanting to be freer, more open. And uh, I guess the only time we really got to share is when we were dancing and, and singing that day. They, uh, Valerie said, Teresa, do you think you can use this in any way and I, so I told him to translate for me that I love to sing and um, I love to sing in my church and uh, she said you want to sing something and I said alright. Melissa you ready to back up? Yeah. So we, we broke into a little Amazing Grace we sang Amazing Grace and uh, afterwards they shared a, a song that they sing as well the lady. So that was very nice. Um And it was a blessing that day because we knew we had made a relationship with these people anytime we go back we'll be welcome we'll be invited probably to more homes and it was just showing love and respect to their culture and to the people did i get to share with anybody okay one person i really did get to share with like she said the guys are kind of clingy at the stores this guy followed me, followed me, followed me. So I found some dishes that have the have the sign. And that's the story with two fish and five bread. So I said, hmm, good opportunity. In my broken Arabic, I told him about Jesus. 5,000 people coming to hear Jesus. And, and one of his buddies, Andrew, said, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? Oh, we got two fish, five bread. I said, Jesus does miracles. And so with the two fish and five bread, they fed 5,000 people, and then they had 10 baskets left over. So after I finished my story, I asked him, do you have any questions about this wonderful story? He looked at me, yeah, how big were the fish? (laughs) I told Scott, he didn't get it. So Scott said, okay, the first fish was about this big, the second fish was really big. (laughs) So that was, it. that was a funny chair at the store. And of course we got to go to the Jordan River. We got to see the King's Highway, Donna, your favorite song. And the Yabrook River where supposedly Jacob, son of Isaac, wrestled with the stranger until sunrise. Elijah Hill where Elijah ascended to heaven. But my favorite had to be Mount Nemo. And as we went up. There was a paved road, but still you could see all the Bedouin people and camels, and it was, I kept thinking, what did Jesus see, or what did Moses see? I mean, when he came up this road up to this mountain, and once I got to the top, I thought, no wonder he died. (laughs) It was, uh, oh, Mama T. No, but really, when I got to the top and and you look out, it was kind of a hazy day that day. But you could see Jericho and you could see the Caspian Caspian Sea, the Dead Sea, and you could see the Jordan River, and there it was. After 40 years, they were lost in the desert, and there he finally saw the Promised Land and he died. You know, God didn't let him go to the Promised Land. I think he said Joshua, didn't he? Joshua. And so uh, that was my favorite part because I kept trying to think, like, what happened in those days? And when he saw all that, you know, was he as amazed as I was? Would I go back? Absolutely. These people are more than ever ready to hear the gospel. Most refugees are tired and they have not been treated well by the Muslims. We need to help Pastor Noor and his church. He is overwhelmed with the need of these people as many, and if not all, missionaries. Please pray for these children of Sabah. They're trying to get a new school. And as you saw, they need a new school. For the women, as they grow stronger, please pray, pray for the country of Syria. Pray for the refugee families that have lost everything. Pray for their widows and orphans that have lost even more. Please pray for the missionaries and their children as they serve Jesus Christ around the world and are in very hard situations. And I thank you for your time to spend a little extra time with us to listen to our stories and praise God that we serve in a church that loves its neighbors and it loves its sisters and brothers in its community and beyond around the world. And let me leave you with Ephesians 3:20 20-21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
2: Story like this, well, you hear it every time we go to Mali or Haiti or in Nigeria, where it might be, is the story saying, you know, what what can we do? And, and Tracy referenced the story of the of the fish and the, and the bread, and that's the story we used we told the kids this week as they packed the shoebox. I said, you know, that's a lot. That's a little to us. It's virtually nothing. And, and if, they, it's all, if that's all we got for Christmas, we wouldn't be very impressed. I said, but you know, when you add God to it. To God can take a little shoebox and make it something really, really, really big. And and we look at a trip to Jordan and what impact it would make. And in man's eyes it may be very, very small, but you put the God factor in it and it becomes very, very, very big. I love the story of the starfish. And the story goes something like this. A man was going down the beach and on the beach were thousands of starfish. And he was picking up one and throwing it in the ocean, and picking up one, throwing it back in the ocean, and a guy came up and says, What are you doing? He says, I'm saving starfish. And, and, the, and the guy said, you can't save all these starfish. You can't make a difference in all these starfish. He picks up another one, throws it in the ocean, says, no, but I made a difference in that God calls us to be obedient. And to go and to, to tell others about Christ. Jesus died for these people. He died for the ones in, in Haiti, in Nigeria, in Mali, all around this world, in China. He died for them he's given us the high privilege of being a part of telling that great story. And God bless you for your faithfulness. Now, I've asked God to close us with a song tonight. Actually, I'm going to let him sing while you bow your heads. And he said, what song do you want to sing? It just popped my brain. I have decided to follow Jesus. When I was a teenager, he sang that song. It's been around a long time. And it's so true, though, that wherever God calls us to do, whatever, what he calls us to do, where he tells us to go, we need to say, Jesus, you're the boss. I'll do what you want me to do. That is the ultimate goal of every believer and every church. Every believer and every church. God, what do you want us to do? So, God, if you'll come up uh, with Jenny and if you'll sing for us, I'm going to have to you change your feet. Please bow your heads right there. And as he sings for us tonight, just in your own way, would you be willing to at least do this? Would you pray about surrendering? Not to go to Jordan, not to go to Molly, not, but just say, God, Whatever you want me to do. Tomorrow I'm going to go to work. And God, I'll do what you want me to do at work. Um, God, I'm going, I'm going to, um, to school at college, and I know school's out, but to college, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'm going out at McDonald's in the morning to have coffee with the boys. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'll be back at Golden Circle. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Just be it open again. I have decided to call Jesus. Every head bowed if right closes and center. Um, but when God calls us to our Ninevehs, it's a little harder still this week old Steve will be going to Haiti and three guys will be going in the end of August, the first part of September back to Haiti never been, but in my opinion one of the hardest places probably to minister in the world for about three different reasons that's hard, so whatever God calls you today whatever your Nineveh is be willing to say God, I will trust you and I will go thanks God for sharing with our hearts tonight Lord you have created a huge world it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger more and more people are being born in countries where it's close to the gospel and it would seem like an almost impossible task to fulfill the Great Commission but I go back to a virgin girl when you sent your messenger and told her with man these things are impossible but with God nothing is impossible thank you for that I pray tonight Father for the people of Jordan I pray for the refugees from Syria Father I pray that somehow way, that you'll use your personnel on the ground there to continue to share the love of Jesus May they see Christ in their lives. Father, for the other areas of the world we've touched and for the ones we've yet touch, may we be faithful in following you in all things. Father, to my right or to my left, to their right, Father, is a group of students. We're grateful for they're here tonight, but Father, and the group of students, there's so much potential to change this world. I pray, Father, that you'll raise up missionaries, from this young group. Father, some are making decisions about college. And I pray you'll lead them to either, uh, Father, to missionaries, Father, Walmart or a bank or a college wherever they go, and Father, missionaries around this world. I thank for the leadership, Father, of that group. Father, may you use them as they pour their lives into the lives of these students. Blessings, Father, this week. May we be strong in you. In Jesus' we pray in your gracious name. Thanks for coming, guys. God bless you. Oh, we got some artifacts down here if you want to see those.